Some of you will be expecting me to do my last lesson on the book of Philippians. Um, but that's not the way the Lord has led me tonight. Um, we'll do that another time. <laughs> um, it's, it's not going to not get done. Um, I was praying and, and seeking the Lord about what I should bring. Um, and I just felt him impress on me that to preach about sin. Um, it's not something that we always preach on, um, and it's not something that we like to preach on, <laughs> but when the Lord leads, then I want to be obedient to what he wants to do. So the title of tonight's message is called Sin, Forgiveness and Redemption. If we could turn to Romans chapter 8 and verse 35, I apologize, um, I have forgotten to give, in this, give the scriptures to um, the overhead worker. So Romans chapter 8 and verse 35 says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long, we are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's an amazing scripture passage that tells just how awesome God's love is to us. Nothing that goes on around us can separate us from the love of God. Everything that this passage talks about is external to the person following God. Now remember that the epistles or the letters are written to the church, the people already following God, and that's what the book of Romans is written to the Romans, the people of Rome, the church, in the church. Nothing outside us can separate us from the love of God, but we can separate ourselves, either intentionally by leaving the church or being disqualified by our actions. Notice that sin is not mentioned on the list of the things that, that uh, won't separate us from Jesus. Sin, or, sorry, the definition of sin is falling short of the mark that God has set for us. And he has given many descriptions of what that mark is that we should be reaching. Sin separates us completely from God. Sin is something internal that comes from our own will, our own hearts, our own thoughts, and our own desires. The Bible lists many sinful acts that will disqualify us from salvation. 1 Corinthians 6 and 9 says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, which just means soft, those that live in pleasures, and their own lusts and desires, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, talking about homosexuality, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit 
the kingdom of God. Pretty plain. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these? Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, which means moral impurity, lasciviousness, which means wantonness, lustfulness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, which just means contentions being contentious, emulations, jealously or fervently adopting a bad cause, wrath, strife, which is always disputing, seditions, which is divisions, schisms or factions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, which is lascivious feastings with obscene songs, music, etc., and such like. So that's not even the exhaustive list. Of which I tell you before, as I've also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Once again, talking about not inheriting the kingdom of God. Ephesians 5 and 3. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting. That's talking about filthy jokes um, in particular, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this ye know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor a covetous man who is an idolater, have any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Very plain words. Let no man deceive you with vain words. For because of these things cometh the wrath upon the children of disobedience. And if that wasn't plain enough, then that's even plainer. Be ye not ye therefore partakers with them. Revelation 22 and 14. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life, that may and may enter in through the gates into the city. For without are dogs. And if you look into that, that's really talking about people taken in homosexuality. And sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters. And whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. So there's not such a thing as a little white lie. Sin isn't even something that has to be physically done with our bodies. Matthew chapter 5 and 21 says, You've heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment, the physical act. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, or you fool, shall be in danger, or pretty much that you fool, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hell fire. You've heard that it was said of them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. By being unjustly angry or lusting, we have already committed sin. That's just within our hearts. If I have mentioned any sin that you are currently bound by, because sin is bondage. Sin will hold you bound. Sin will keep you and, and won't let you go if you let it. Or if I've mentioned any sin that you've already repented of, maybe even recently, the point of this message is not to make you feel bad or condemned. That's not what God is about. John chapter 3 and verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world 
through him might be saved. The whole idea is not that Jesus came to condemn the world, but that there was a way of salvation, a way we could come to him, a way that we could be freed from the bondage of sin that would so easily overtake us. And I'm reminded of, and and I read recently in the book of Isaiah, I think it's in uh, chapter 6, where Isaiah saw a vision where he, he saw the throne of God and he saw the angels around the throne saying, holy, holy, holy. And, and when he saw all of this majesty and glory of God, he, he fell down onto his knees and he said, woe unto me because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. But that didn't disqualify him. God didn't say, okay, well, off you go. But he just needed to be cleansed. He just needed to be purified. An angel took tong, um, a coal, burning coal off the, the fire and put it onto his lips to purify him. And then God asked, who, who will go? Who will speak for me? And he was able to say, I will go. And he was able to go. He wasn't disqualified because of what he had done. He wasn't disqualified because of his environment, which is what all the people around him were doing. They were of unclean lips but he just needed to be cleansed and then he could come into the presence of God and do his work. Jesus is all about mercy, grace, and forgiveness. It's incredible when you think about it. What we have done in our lives, we deserve to die. And the Bible even says that we deserve to die because of sin. But there is a way that's been made for us by his death, by his, his, his resurrection. That's just incredible to even think about. You aren't disqualified or cast away from God by your past or even your present. You aren't discriminated against by either being in the church or outside of it. Sin is sin and all sinners are equal in God's sight. There's no sin that's greater than another. They're all equal. They're all going to take us out of the will of God. They're all going to disqualify us from going to heaven, as we just read. All sinners need God's grace, mercy, and forgiveness. And God holds nothing back when we come and repent. Repentance is just turning away, leaving it behind, and walking with Jesus. When we repent from our sin, the number of times we sin, even in exactly the same sin, does not disqualify us from the forgiveness of God when we repent. We can't sin and then expect God to accept us in our sin. But when we repent, He is faithful and just to forgive us. Hebrews 4 and 12 says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. If you think you can hide your your heart, your wicked heart, if you think you can hide the things that you've done from God, you're greatly mistaken. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. There's nothing we can do that can hide ourselves from God. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession, our walk with God, 
our, our righteous walk with God. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. There are things that are going to greatly try us and test us. And none of us are perfect. Some of us, most of us are going to fall at some stage. But was in t- Paul points tempted like as we are yet without sin. He is our example. He is the one who has gone before us to say, we can live without sin. We can live above sin. It doesn't have a hold on us anymore when we walk with him because he has conquered sin. He has never been touched by sin. Let us, therefore, come humbly and hide ourselves. No. Let us, therefore, come boldly unto the throne of grace. Why can we come boldly? We've sinned. How can we come boldly? Because we know that he is going to forgive us. Because his forgiveness is not based on, on, <laughs> on, on the number of times that we do it or the number of times that we fall. His grace and his mercy is everlasting. That we may obtain mercy. It doesn't say if God feels like it. That we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And anytime we're in sin, we're in need. Anytime we're outside the will of God, we are in great need. And First John 1 John 1.9, as I just mentioned before, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Well, He doesn't just forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Think about the tongs and the, the coal that came off the fire. There's a a purifying fire. There's a cleansing that He will cleanse us completely from our unrighteousness. The Bible doesn't say, I will forgive you one time only, or that's the last time I will forgive you for that sin. God doesn't count up your sins and wait for you to reach a number that means He doesn't have to forgive you anymore. God's not there. Oh, 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 yes, yes, He's finally reached that. No, God is always reaching out to us. He doesn't want anyone to perish. All of the the churches in Revelation that weren't doing the right thing, the first thing he said unto them is, repent, repent, repent. I want you to come back to me. I don't want you to stay the way you are. I don't want you to be lost. I want you to be saved. Matthew 18 and 21. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how often, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? And Peter was saying, you know, that, that sounds pretty good. You know, seven times is, is, a, is a big number. But Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. This verse is about us forgiving our brothers and our sisters in the church. Note that Jesus wasn't saying that we only have to forgive our brothers and sisters 490 times And they were allowed to hold a grudge after that. Jesus actually used a Hebrew saying that is difficult to translate to English as we don't have an equivalent saying. He wasn't giving a maximum number of times we need to forgive. He was actually saying that we need to forgive infinitely or as many times as it takes. Another similar passage talks about forgiving our brothers and sisters seven times in a day. Luke 17 and verse 3, Take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if you repent, forgive him. And if you trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to you, saying, I repent, you shall 
forgive him. In this account, the counter is reset every day. So that there is no set number of times to forgive our brothers and sisters in Jesus. It would be really hard to trespass against somebody seven times in a single day. Normally you trespass once and you go into hiding for the rest of the day or something like that. Most people aren't bold enough to do that. Notice that God doesn't say that the eighth time is free. He doesn't say, well, and then the eighth time you can hold a grudge after against them. It's all good then. No. The Bible is saying you should be forgive, forgiving. You should be forgiving of your brothers and sisters. There's no cause. There's, there's no reason. There's, there's no right reason for us to hold a grudge against our brothers and our sisters. The implication is that we should continue to forgive others, no matter how many times they fail us or do us wrong. And I was just thinking just right then about how many times do we fail God and do Him wrong, and He forgives us. So why did I suddenly start talking about forgiving our brothers and sisters when we were talking about God's love, mercy, and grace to us? There is a tie, a link with us forgiving others and God forgiving us. Matthew 6 and 14 says, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. That's pretty strong words. It shows just how important it is that we love our brothers and sisters, that we don't hold grudges, that we don't harbor hate in our hearts towards our brothers and sisters in the Lord because by doing that, we hold off our own forgiveness and we put ourselves in a very dangerous place with God. Do you think that there is one set of standards that God lives by and another set of standards he asks his people to live by? No, there is only one set of standards. So when God talks about us forgiving our brothers and sisters as many times as necessary, he's also extending his grace mercy and peace, the same number of times to us. That's not only 490 times total. I hope you've been keeping account if you believe that. Or only seven times in a day, but however many times is necessary to give us salvation. His mercy, His grace is extended, is, is, is poured out to us again and again and again and again. We don't deserve it, but He reaches out to us again. Thank you, Jesus. His mercy and His grace extends to us at our point of need, no matter how many times we need to come back and ask His forgiveness. I think that sometimes we are the hardest on ourselves. If we have repented of our sins, God has forgiven us of our sins. It's really as simple as that. We don't need to repent multiple times for the same sin unless we commit that sin multiple times. Sometimes God will allow consequences of sin, but that doesn't mean that he hasn't forgiven you. I've often heard the saying, it's really an excuse, that somebody considers themselves such a great sinner that the church would probably fall down if they entered into it. <laughs> the thing is, Jesus is greater than any sin or any number of sins. He is able to heal. He is able to forgive. He is able to redeem. He is able to restore. He is able to lift up into righteousness once 
again or even for the first time. That's why he died on that wooden cross over 2,000 years ago. To provide forgiveness for all sins of all people who would come to him and repent. Jesus rose triumphant from the grave. He's already paid the price for your sins and for mine. And to take advantage of that, all you need to do is humble yourself or humble yourself again if necessary and repent of your sins. It's, that's it. That's all you need to do. So why do we think that we're so special that suddenly God's mercy and grace can't reach to us anymore? Sometimes we get into a dark place. And just being in the church for a long time or growing up in the church doesn't mean that you don't go through some dark times. It doesn't mean that you can't fall into sin. I know that I've been through one very dark period in my life while I was in the church. But he was always reaching out every single time. Every single time I fell, he was reaching out. And I came back and I repented. And sometimes it was physically, it physically hurt me to repent because I knew just how much I had failed him. But he was gracious and he was merciful and he brought me out. just so grateful to him tonight. He's so amazing. God's mercy and grace will always reach for us. He will always forgive every time you repent and turn away from sin in your heart. First John 1 and 9 again says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Don't. Let Satan whisper into your ear that you failed God one too many times and can't receive forgiveness. He will. <laughs> he will. That's a lie straight from the pits of hell and from the Father of all lies. What we need to do is repent. Walk for Jesus. Follow him faithfully. And if we fall, get up. Repent. Walk for Jesus. Follow him faithfully. Jesus doesn't and won't ever condemn you. So don't condemn yourself or let Satan condemn you for something that you have already repented of. We will always have regret for the things that we've done. We'll always have regret for our sins. But God will never condemn us. He forgives us. Even even leaving the church and going back into sin doesn't disqualify you from the mercy and the grace of God. While you are a sinner, you're in an incredibly dangerous place. But if you come back to Jesus and repent, he will forgive and clean you up once again. That is a promise from his word. If I could get someone to the piano, please. When I was writing this message, I couldn't help but think of a song that I sang with my sister a long time ago. I'm not even sure who originally wrote it, but the words are powerful. And they go like this. The years had left scars. The scars had left pain. How could he recognize me? I wasn't the same. I knew I should pay, and I knew the price. For justice and law demanded my life. 
But his tender heart heard my desperate cry. And he saw my past through merciful eyes. Beautiful, that's how mercy saw me. Though I was broken and so lost, mercy looked past all my faults. The justice of God saw what I had done, but mercy saw me through the sun. Not what I was, but what I could be. That's how mercy saw me. Wherever you've gone, you can't go too far. That his eyes of mercy can't see where you are. He loves you too much to leave you alone. Your flesh of his flesh and bone of his bone. And his heart cries out for your heart today. See yourself through his eyes. And then you can say, sin had stolen my dignity, all my self-esteem. But I was made brand new again when mercy looked at me. The message is clear. Jesus will forgive any and all who come to him in repentance. Nobody is left out or disqualified from his forgiveness, his mercy, and his grace. If you find yourself in need of his forgiveness this evening, now is the time to receive that forgiveness. It doesn't come without a cost. We need to humble ourselves. We need to repent. But then it's all, it's all by him. If you need his grace tonight, if you need his mercy, don't delay to come to the front of the church. Who knows whether you'll get another chance to repent. He is merciful. He is gracious. But his mercy and his grace doesn't extend forever. In that there will come a time eventually when he will come back. And he will take his people to be with him. We don't want to be in the wrong place at that time. His arms of mercy are outstretched to you right now. Why hold back? Why put it off for tomorrow or next week or a supposedly more convenient time? His mercy is here right now for you. Yes, you. And none of us are disqualified. Just the fact that we have been in the church for a long time doesn't mean that we're perfect. Doesn't mean that we can't fall into sin. Doesn't mean that we don't need His grace again from time to time. Doesn't mean that we can't hold grudges against our brothers and our sisters. His mercy is here right now. He's standing here waiting with outstretched arms, just longing and waiting for you to make it all right with Him. He desires you to be in the right place with Him. And the peace and the joy that will flood your heart are indescribable. But you have to make that first step to Him. He'll take care of the rest. I invite anyone to come to the altar. Maybe you just want to thank Him for His mercy and His grace in your life and and just how awesome He has been. Maybe that's all you need tonight. Why don't you respond to just his amazing mercy and his grace but if you need him now is your chance if you need his forgiveness now is the time not to hold back you've heard of just how awesome he is tonight and how merciful and how loving he is to us take advantage of that not in a bad way but take advantage of what he has offered you and because he loves you he loves you so much 
He doesn't want you to perish. He doesn't want you to walk out the back door. But He wants you to be saved. So if you need to make that step, just make that now. Thank you.